Welcome to Backyard Oasis, a podcast designed by and for older adults living in the beautiful Pioneer Valley of Western Massachusetts and produced in the tech studios at Greenfield Community College in Greenfield, Massachusetts. Backyard Oasis reaches out to older adults who seek knowledge to help them live more thoughtfully, healthily, and happily who hope to inspire others with their ideas and who serve their communities in the interest of the greater good. We hope you join us frequently in our pleasant backyard oasis for wide-ranging conversations with a diversity of people who are growing older and want to talk about it. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Backyard Oasis. This is Dennis Lee with Denise Schwartz. Hello, everybody. We're calling this episode The Power of Love and Music. Our guest is writer, storyteller, composer, and musician Nick Kachulis. Nick was living a normal family life when aging problems with his dad, Bill, changed everything. Well, Nick, you went through a lot. Things were normal. So tell me about when you first realized that things we're not normal. First of all, welcome. I should officially say that. But beyond that, I've known him for a long time, so I feel like everybody knows him. But anyway, tell me what it was like, what you remember when everything hit the fan. Well, Dennis, I want to give you a little of my backstory first, and then I think it, it will really locate what an impact having my father in our house was for us. Um, I grew up in New York City. I'm a musician. I play jazz piano and uh, the Great American Songbook. Uh, I also compose for films and TV. I also do storytelling in schools about ancient Greece, connecting different kind of curriculums. I always was interested in writing and uh, storytelling and also visual things. The thing about my dad, well, what if I told you that until his mid-90s, My father lived in a neighborhood where people called him by his first name. He took walks, sang every day, and danced a few times a week. He spoke two languages. He played cards almost every night with his family. He went to parks and concerts and baseball games. He read aloud an hour or two a day, and he heard and said, I love you every morning and every night. How would we describe his life? And oh, he had dementia. He was being cared for constantly. He had some serious health problems, and he was declining. What's the real story? What's more important? What's more accurately defines him? Maybe we start to change things. Maybe we think of elders instead of the elderly. Love and enjoyment instead of, or at least in addition to care and treatment. Flourishing and rebirth instead of dementia and decline. I think it's time to ask different questions about aging and to start to change the language of aging. 
Oh, I agree with you there. Let's keep talking about that whenever you can, Nick. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, language is important. It's powerful, and it makes a difference. Yes, it does. But what actually happened? I want to well, get. Okay. I want to get back yeah. to. The, I get the uh, specifics of his life, and, and we'll get to that. But I'm interested. What happened to you? You were a normal guy with a normal life, and then all of a sudden, what changed? Did well, it happen I don't, over I, six months. I, over, I don't uh, think. I don't think taking care of an elder is not normal. So that's the first thing. I, I, I think it is normal life. Um, I think we moved my parents here uh, to a condo when my mama had a stroke. My dad took care of her for seven years. And when she passed, it, he, he just collapsed. He, he was completely defeated. Uh, he was hopeless. Uh, he was bewildered. He was alone. We brought him in to live with us. And um, I assumed and and I was right in assuming that it really enriched his life to live with us. What I did not expect was the impact on my life, was the enrichment in my life. Um, I think everybody benefits by having elders in close proximity. Mm. Elders, of course, but I think middle-aged people would benefit more. They could maybe glean some wisdom. Maybe people older than us know more than we do about some things. And I think young people and children would just flourish uh, in, in all this attention from older people and in order to have the opportunity to repay that gift. Mm-hmm. When my dad moved into us, uh, with us, um, all his pleasures in life had vanished. Reading, baseball, walking, socializing with people. Basically, his world had collapsed. Mm-hmm. To give you an example, with reading, my dad read two to four hours a day into his early 90s. When he moved in with us at 92, he couldn't put two words together on a page. But gradually, through patience and through hard work, two years later, he could read out loud an hour and a half a day. Mm-hmm. Wow. Now, what, what actually, so what did you do? Because uh, I know that there was a process. So at what point, were you home and you said, well, I've got to do something. I just can't let him age and he's going away from us. So what did you decide to do and then what did you do daily as your life went along? I tried everything. Mm. And then when something didn't work, I cut it loose. Um, I, I started with what I knew he enjoyed. And um, it was my dad had a great love of life, a great joy of life. And it was that joy and love of life we were trying to reawaken with all of this. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, with reading, I literally started with one word at a time, or I started reading out loud to him and gradually, gradually brought him along. I even went back and I started with a Greek preschool reader, because he also spoke Greek, uh, to the most simple, basic aspects of language. And what did he do when you first started doing that? Was he confused about it or oh, was he, he, he eager just, he just glazed over and fell asleep oh i mean he, he you know it, it took a lot of times you know quality is everything except quantity is everything too it took a lot of times over and over again uh same thing with uh, getting him to move getting him to just even walk around the house um by the end he was taking two walks a day Around the house, or did no, he venture outside, outside? Outside. Eventually, we were taking two half-hour walks a day. That is huge. Um, so, every I mean, in a sense, we became our own uh, 
daycare program for one elder daycare program. We just thought, well, my wife would constantly call up from work and say, you know what, Papu, which is grandfather in Greek, you know what he would love? You know what's going on uh, this week, Saturday in Amherst? Let's take him there. Our attitude was, whatever it is, let's do it. Now, you told me a story which I've got to mention here. You're very into Greek culture. You took him to Springfield to Glendy, which is a Greek festival. Right. And you told me a story about the fact that your dad walked in a shuffling manner. Right. Okay. But you decided he should get up and listen to the music. Nick, what happened? Well, um, those, that's actually a combination of two things. Uh, first of all, my dad resisted almost everything that we tried to get him to do. Uh, and we were respectful, but that did not stop us. So the Glendy story was we tried to get him in to, into a car, and he you know, kind of fought us and tussled, and we got him in the car, and we got there, and he was just sunken into this thing. And we finally stood him up, and we both grabbed his hands, my wife and I, and there's a circle dance going on. And the, as soon as the music started to play, he started to move. It was almost this precognitive sort of uh, experience for him. And those dancers were locked in his body, and he just started to dance. Um, the dementia shuffle is also an interesting thing because uh, it's a very well-known look that people who have dementia have. They shuffle along, they look downcast. Um, because of my background as a musician, I knew the Great American Songbook very well. I knew it on the piano, and I gradually learned the words. And one day we were walking in the street. This was several years in. Um, and I started to sing as we walked. I used to sing in the house a little bit. And his whole body changed. He straightened up. He started to walk with authority. He beamed. Now, he sang gibberish, but he was there. And he always joined the chorus. He always had the chorus. And we became famous in the neighborhood. You could hear us two blocks away. You could hear us through closed doors and windows. Nick, I love hearing this because I'm going to take one minute to say... My dad sounds a lot like yours. My dad has been gone for some time now. He didn't have dementia, but he always sang. His family, there were 12 kids in the family. There was always a piano and everybody sang. And after my mother died, he was alone. So what did he do? He walked the neighborhood and he sang. And I would say to him, Dad, don't you think the neighbors, do they want to hear that? And he said he didn't care because singing was his therapy. Music was his therapy. Doesn't that sound real familiar oh, yeah. to you? Yeah, M music of all the modalities, and we used a lot of modalities. It is the most direct because it. it my, my dad had something called aphasia, which is a language impairment. And for him, it came out in reading and speaking sometimes. Now, as I said, we fixed that in, in reading. Now, he would read an hour and a half a day sometimes out loud. If you asked him the next day or even an hour later, he necessarily wouldn't remember, but it was coherent. But the thing with the speaking was very interesting because sometimes he would be reaching for a word and it, it, he would just kind of be gibberishing, uh, you know, it would be still a little nonsensical. But I started to listen differently. Um, and I started to think, for my dad, he was living in a world of feelings and emotions, not so much a world of ideas. And so, for instance, if I listened to him as if he was a poet, it all made sense. If he said, give me a rug for my boat, I knew he wanted a blanket for his feet. We got in the car and he said, hit the prawl. That meant start the engine. 
so I started to understand his language, and I started to realize that he was like an expressionist poet. He was throwing up images and words to try and express something, and if I listened to it in that creative way, I could find his meaning. There's the key. You were listening to it with your open heart and not panicking, which some people would do saying, oh, what's he saying? Why can't he get any words out? Why doesn't it make sense? But you listened to it, and I love what you said, as if it was poetry, another creative endeavor. And that gave you a way to really embrace what he was doing instead of being afraid of it. Instead of being afraid of it. Just do away with Mm -hmm. the fear factor. Did he have... uh one song or two songs that no, he particularly no, responded no, to? No, no, he, 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 he loved them all, and he confused all the words except for the chorus. <laughs> and I sang dozens, if not more than dozens. But let me tell you one uh, thing, because I think part of the thing is to bring other people into the experience. Mm-hmm. People are willing to help and extend themselves, many people, not everyone, but many people, if we give them the opportunity. Now, we were in a very, very close-knit neighborhood, and my dad, one night, we took dad outside and was sitting on a neighbor's lawn. He was having a lively day, sort of taking Martha's phone where she was taking a picture, of, uh, telling jokes that only he understood, um, right in the middle of the whole thing. And I kept going in and out making dinner. And I came out, and a neighbor, my neighbor Alan said, your dad is talking to me in Greek, and I don't know what he's saying. I don't know what to do. And I said, pretend you're in a village in Greece. You sit down at a cafeneo table, and an old man sits down next to you, and he's talking in fluent Greek. He is sure you understand exactly what he means. Go with it. So I went in the house. I came back again, and there were Dad and Alan in uproarious conversation, backslapping, waving their hands like old Greek friends in the village. And for that moment, they were. So here's the key to me. We have the moment. Don't think because somebody doesn't speak your language, they speak no language. Dad was speaking Bill, and I understood him, and other people could understand him too if they took the time to listen and they thought with their imagination. And that reminds me of how maybe what his physical, emotional, and medical condition was could be thought of as being in another country. Because what you just described in that Greek scene was what it's like when you go to another country as a very able-bodied and aware person and you don't speak the language. And somehow you find a way to say, I'm doing fine. Yes, I'd like to have that to eat, please. And thank you. And how are your children? And you're able to do that without knowing the language. So maybe that's a way to look at it. Dad was in another country. I'm going to go visit him there. And he's visiting me and mine. Right. And there's a a lot of... There's a lot more overlap. I mean, the wires sometimes clearly got, got crossed. But when the wires aligned, he knew more of what was going on than I think people realized. As if, to use your analogy, when somebody comes from another country and does not speak the language, sometimes people will speak low, slower and louder. Trust <laughs> yeah. me, they could have a PhD in physics. Uh, it doesn't mean they're, they don't understand. They just don't, can't grasp the language. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, right. How about with, um, I know sports is part of what you uh, got involved in. As a matter of fact, we're going to talk about uh, a performance you put together, Life with Bill. And one of the photographs that I had the great pleasure of taking, although I didn't know your whole story, but somebody said, bring a camera, and I did. And you had a New York Mets uh, blanket 
that you used as part of the props. Uh, baseball was part of his whole being as well. Right. How did that play into what we're talking about or what happened? So baseball was uh, his ruling passion. Baseball and learning and his family were the three most important things to his life. Um, and it became a conduit into his world. When I started to read with him and get him to read, it was baseball books. It was coffee table baseball books that, that sort of sparked his interest. Uh, the blanket is symbolic in some ways because it represented his home team of the Mets and all that. <laughs> but it was also what we wrapped him, him, at, him in at night when he watched TV and uh, sat with my wife and we watched a baseball game. So there was this sort of nurturing quality to it all. Um, one, t- one day we took him outside. Uh, he was watching uh, my son and I uh, play baseball. And he uh, said, oh, they don't know how they're doing it. And we took him outside and we gave him a bat and I pitched to him. And I, and I pitched to him. And I pitched to him. And I pitched to him, and he kept missing. And then we gave him a big red bat from my kid's t-ball days, and he kept missing. And he, he must have swung 70 times. I said, oh, Dad, why don't we take a break? And he said, oh, no, come on, I'll hit it. Come on, throw it again, throw it again. Finally, he hit the ball, and my wife grabbed him by the hand and ran towards first base And after half an hour. And then he wanted to do it all oh. over again. <laughs> oh, you're going to make me cry, Nick. <laughs> that's, that's wonderful in terms of... Uh, Well, we all have things from our childhood. Baseball was part of your childhood, obviously part of his as well. So I I, I want to point out, though, that, um, well, I want to tell you a story about a crisis he had and and how that played out, because I think it it speaks to the limitations that we hear around us in terms of people aging. Uh, My family and I went out west on a, a, a vacation and we hired somebody to stay with dad and we got a call and he was in this major health crisis. We came back and the predictions were just um, dire and basically um, horrible. Uh, we happened to know the admitting physician in the ER room and he told us, I never saw somebody so far off the bell curve as your father survive. Hmm. They, we, we hired some health aides to come in and help. Uh, the first one later told us, when the agency sent me in, they said he will probably die in a few days, <gasps> oh. a week tops. But gradually, gradually, we worked at it. Everyone thought he was finished. There was this parade of professionals, even friends and family, all said, he's done. Most people thought we were naive, ill-informed, living in a fantasy world. We ignored them. We lived in what Quincy Jones once called cynical optimism. (laughs) We started with my dad, one sip of water at a time, one word in a song. And gradually, it came back. In several months' time, he was eating full meals. In several months' time, he was dancing in the kitchen with a health aide. (laughs) He was walking in the neighborhood, and he was reading an hour and a half out loud a day. He lived another two and a half years. This is a great story, Nick. And, and his best years with us was still in front of him. Hmm. So uh, as Yogi Berra famously <laughs> says now with the movie, it ain't over till it's over. You know, I know we're winding down now, but I did want to just say one thing. You keep saying we. I, I, I know we want to talk about the program that you've put together and, and, and the performance 
living with Bill, but you keep saying we, and you were really fortunate that your wife, your partner, wanted to be part of this. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. My wife was was just uh, the inspiration, the guiding force. Um, during the day, I was the primary caregiver. During the day, Dad and I were like the dynamic duo. <laughs> but when my wife came home, she made it a family. Oh. And her de- devotion and, and dedication to the entire experience of taking care of him uh, never wavered. At the end of everything, uh, a month after, my, my, my wife said something once that really struck me. Because I said, well, what if it gets to be too much? She said, we'll work it out. Wow. We're, not trying to, we're not trying to fix him. We're giving him a life. And that became the guiding principle about a month after um, my dad passed, my wife and I, Martha, my wife and I were walking, and uh, she turned to me and she said, taking care of your dad was the most profound experience of my life. Oh, my gosh. Um, so that just, it just took my breath away, her, her connection to it all. Um, were you close beforehand? Was the whole family very tight beforehand? Yeah, I, I mean, I would say, although we didn't live in close proximity, but um, you don't know how people are going to react, even your own self. Uh, but sometimes stra- strangers would step out of nowhere. I mean, a casual acquaintances would step up. People in stores say, hey, how's your dad? Neighbors, people giving us food. But my wife, uh, I wouldn't say I couldn't do it without her because I happened to feel that I would have found a way boy, was it easier and, and more pleasant and more fun. Aww. And and he he adored her. He just adored her. I mean, you would constantly see them walking in the neighborhood, holding hands. You know, when I wasn't singing with him, she was taking him to the playground to watch children play. So I, I wanted to ask about if somebody's listening to this, and obviously it's a great story. As Denise said, she had tears in her eyes. It's obviously a wonderful story. So if somebody's listening to this right now, and they're going through, through something like this, not exactly, because every patient is different, every life is different. How would you think that someone should start thinking about this? I think it's, uh, it's the approach. I mean, practical knowledge and resources, those can be had. Those are out there. But I think part of the thing is, I'm not saying somebody should or shouldn't do this. I'm saying we did it. I'm saying it's an opportunity for you to do it. And I'm saying that we are never sorry we did it. That doesn't mean it wasn't hard. It means it was worth it. Mm-hmm. I, I guess I have a couple of guiding principles that always helped me. One was that cynical optimism. Another one was we didn't bemoan dementia. We embraced it. You how? Know? I mean, how can you even... those? sort of don't go together. You've given so, us examples how you so, did, but those I'm, words kind of don't go together. So there are moments, yeah. I mean, there were moments of uh, bewilderment, uh, fear, uh, fright. Uh, we were overwhelmed, but there were uproarious moments. There were moments of incredible fun in the house and joy. When, when, and when your 95-year-old father kisses you goodnight every night and says, I love you, oh. Well, there's something there. Mm-hmm. 
There is something there to hold on to and yeah. to share with others. And there was a lot. I mean, my dad was a character too. And when the when the wires would connect, he would say insightful things. And when the wires would misconnect, he would say sometimes hysterically funny things. And I would have to call up my wife and say, you're not going to believe what he just said today. Oh, my God. And we would laugh. And he <laughs> would laugh. He wouldn't always ha- understand the content. But he, he sensed the emotion of the house, and that brought us joy, and it brought him joy, and it was a reciprocal relationship. He yeah. was one lucky man. Yeah, well, we were lucky to have him, I'll tell yeah. you. I want to just mention, and we don't have time to get into the whole chicken soup for the soul thing, but you wrote uh, something, if people have a chance to look for it, it's about your dad in baseball. Yes. So I just want to, rather than get so, into that, if, if people are really interested, chicken soup for the soul is wonderful. So, so if, if you go to my website, nickkachoulis.com, or you search lifewithbill.org, then you will find my book on my website. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Life with Bill was a one-man show I put together with, with two friends, uh, a bass player, Lynn Lovell, and a drummer, Kevin Weil. We filmed it, and we have made a film of it. It's about an hour and 20 minutes. If you go to my website, you can see the trailer of the film. Um, I'm also completing Life with Bill as a book. So it's really a, a live show, a book, and a film. And if anybody in the audience is interested in uh, engaging us for the live show or the film, uh, please come to my website. My first name, Nick, my last name, Kachulis, K-A-C-H-U-L-I-S. Or you can literally search lifewithbill.org and it will get you to the site. And the Chicken Soup for the Soul uh, book is there. Uh, that that started me. I took notes while I was taking care of my dad. That chicken soup for soul was take, about taking my dad to his last baseball game. But that started me on this path of putting a one-man show together. And now I'm going back and reforming that back into a book. That's what I wanted to talk about next. Uh, to kind of wrap, I want to make sure people know about how that whole thing came together. And it's wonderful because, well, you mentioned the Great American Songbook. And... I was just listening last night on PBS. I was watching a, a thing on Gershwin and, and uh, Cole Porter in that whole era. And I had goosebumps on goosebumps just listening and watching that. Uh, but it, it, it's tremendous music. And, but the, you put it together in such a nice way because you did, just so people understand, it's a, you, you did a reading and then you played some music. You did a reading, and then you explained right. in sections. And then the music flows with uh, with your reading. And uh, I tell you what, it's a, a, just a wonderful time Thank and you. some great music. Yeah, I, the, the, I enjoyed the, it. The music is part of the story itself because it, it, music tells those stories. And that particular, that great American songbook really touches almost every part of the thing. So those songs were dropped in very consciously to fit the anecdote that I just told as a story. Mm-hmm. So that if the thing was, the song was, it's wonderful, it was about how it's wonderful that you should care for me. And he cared for me when I was a child, and then I cared for him when he was an adult. Mm-hmm. Let's hear a little bit of that. Can we hear a little bit of uh, something from Life with Bill? This was a performance that I had a great ple- pleasure of watching. Uh, I didn't know when I walked in what I was getting into. Somebody said, can you bring a camera? And I did. So I took uh, Nick's picture, and he looked good, uh, and uh, the other members of the trio. But uh, 
let's he, he this was at Look Park in Florence at the Garden House. They put this together. Nick was able to convince a couple people to help him out, and a lot of people did a lot of free stuff. Uh, almost so, everyone volunteered. So, I, I called up my friends. They said, "We're there. Don't even think about it." Yep, yep. Yeah, it was well, very touching. Even, it, even uh, actually, the two cameramen who actually helped me uh, mix uh, the Life with Bill uh, film were. Uh, I didn't even know them, and and they volunteered. And then afterwards, we spent about six or seven months editing it down into a film. And I said, I, you know, and they said, don't worry about it. We believe in this so much. We are with you. That's you know, cool. what I really want to do with these three things, this whole Life with Bill conglomerate of a story, you know, a book story, a film story, and the live show is spread the word. I want to make new connections, make new friends, and I want to tell people that there's value in aging and there's value in engaging with elders and that the more these stories get told the more comfortable we are we need to make a systemic shift in this culture back to elders in the world did you uh well, you don't know exactly where it's all going to go. I know from talking to you off air that you're trying to get different people that would be interested in it. Uh, maybe some senior centers, if somebody's got a connection with yes. some senior centers. So I, I think the places I'm looking at are senior centers, um, college campuses, playhouses. Um, that's for the, for the live performance. For the film, I'm looking at film festivals, uh, perhaps uh, renting it where I, I could show the film and we could have a talk back. Um, and for the book, I'm looking to uh, finish it, publish it, and make it an adjunct to all those events. So it really is this whole sort of presentation. So let's hear a little music from Life with Bill. Heaven, I'm in heaven. My heart beats so that I can hardly speak. And I seem to find the happiness I see. We're out together, dancing cheek to cheek. Heaven, I'm in heaven. The cares that haunt around me through the week seem to vanish like the gambler's lucky stream. We're out together, dancing cheek to cheek. Oh, love to climb a mountain and reach the highest peak. Nick Catrillis, it's a pleasure to know you. It's a pleasure to talk about your life with Bill. I didn't know your wife. I met your wife when I brought over some material for you. Nice family and uh, the power of music and love. I think if anybody listened to this with a half an ear, they get the connection. I don't know if there's one without another in your particular case or for your dad. And I'm, think, I'm thinking as I'm sitting here, gee, I wish I, I knew his dad. <laughs> you know? I'm thinking the same thing. And I'm also <laughs> thinking, how wonderful to memorialize him this way. And don't we all want to go home now and try to do that about well, our own parents? I hope you could connect to that. Yeah, and if you uh, come to the show or you see the uh, film, I think you will, you will know my dad. I think that's because the, the story is universal. Everyone will either need help or give help in life. And so while this story is personal in some ways, it is a memorial, but it is more than a memorial. It is a story that we hope touches the chord of every person who reaches out to it. 
thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. Nick Atrillis, thanks. We enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Denise enjoyed it. Even our engineer was tapping his foot when we were talking about the music. He's a, he's a musician himself, so he appreciates it. Nice to have you here. We hope that you have much success and you keep on building memories about your life with Bill. This concludes today's podcast. We're always looking for new ideas, so feel free to reach out to Judy Raper, Associate Dean of Community Engagement at Greenfield Community College at 413-775-1819 if you have an idea you'd love to share. Special thanks to the creators of Backyard Oasis, Denise Schwartz, Chad Fuller, Dennis Lee, and Christine Copeland. Have a great day.